You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Good morning, Mission family. Welcome to the third Sunday of Advent. That word Advent's not familiar to you. It's the uh, season in our church calendar leading up to Christmas. And the word Advent uh, refers to the, the sense of anticipation that there for the arrival of the Messiah. And it harks back to the uh, time period, the gap between the Old Testament and New Testament, the 400 years between the last of the Old Testament prophets and the arrival of and birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah in the New Testament. Each Sunday of Advent is uh, built around a theme. And so two Sundays ago, Pastor Jason spoke on the topic of hope. And last Sunday, uh, Ricardo spoke on the topic of peace. And this Sunday, we'll be looking at joy. And I want to share three things with you. The promise of joy that we see in the Old Testament with the promise of the Messiah. The presence of joy that we find in the arrival and birth of the Messiah of Jesus Christ in the New Testament and the potential of joy in your own life when you embrace and have a relationship with the Messiah, with Jesus Christ. The uh, Old Testament uh, is written in the Hebrew language. In the uh, Old Testament, the Hebrew word for joy is sima. And the Old Testament prophets make very clear that the, uh, the uh, messianic hope brings joy, brings sima. Uh, the people have suffered, but God has promised that joy will come. So let's look at the promise of joy. And we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. You might remember this is the passage from which uh, Ricardo spoke last week. We're going to look at a broader section of that same passage. So Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So what's going on in this passage? What's, what's happening historically that Isaiah is speaking to? The people of Israel had been disobedient to God. Uh, over and over again, God had warned them of the potential consequences of their disobedience. And finally, uh, God allows the Assyrian people to capture the nation of Israel. They took them into captivity. They made them their slaves. And uh, that's the context for Isaiah's prophecy in this passage. So as it begins to talk about the joy, the sema that we see in verse 3, uh, it's this understanding of the joy that will come when the Assyrians are defeated and Israel is able to be returned to its land. 
But there's much more than that in this passage. This passage is a messianic prophecy. And we know that from, uh, from several different things. Even verse two is used in Matthew chapter four as a description of Jesus Christ. Or verses six and seven, where the passage where it talks about the child that's born, and it uses four names for that child uh, that are uh, what are called the throne names of God. They can only refer to God himself. And so we know that this passage is a messianic prophecy. And so there's a joy in verse three that comes from the arrival, from the promise of the Messiah. And the uh, the author uses, Isaiah uses in this passage two descriptions of the nature of that joy that meant a lot to the Israelite audience that would have heard it. Uh, we might struggle a little bit with understanding it ourselves, but let's break it down a little bit. So it talks in verse three, it says, you have multiplied the nation, you've increased its joy. So the, the first way that joy is described in this passage is related to this numerical growth or strengthening of the Israelite people. Now, for the Jewish audience that heard it, this would have harked back to the promise that God made to Abraham uh, many, uh, a long time before, where God promised to make his descendants greater than the number of the stars, to make them a great people. And at this very moment, the Israelite people would have thought that that had been lost forever. They were in captivity. They were uh, broken people. They had uh, no power um, and they had lost their sense of identity. But God's promising them in the arrival of the Messiah, a joy that was, would have been uh, like what you have when your nation is strengthened, like the promise that God had made to Abraham so long before. The second description of joy is as joy as at the harvest. And again, in, in our world, we don't, we don't necessarily get that, right? We, we think when we need food, we drive down to State of Brothers, we do our shopping and we have the food that we need. But in an agrarian society, every moment that those crops were in the field was a moment where something could go wrong. And uh, the moment where they were able to harvest that crop and realize that they were gonna have enough food to make it through to the next time, the next harvest, was a moment of incredible joy for them. And so these are the descriptors that are given this promise of joy that comes in the arrival of the Messiah. And so uh, uh, we see in this passage this, this promise of joy. Now I wanna move and, and look at the presence of joy. Um, the New Testament, uh, the language that it's written in is, is the Greek. And the New Testament word for joy is kara. And it carries the idea of joy, of happiness, of gladness. It can refer to the feelings that result from circumstances, much like we often use the word joy today. But real biblical joy is much more than that. It is continual, not fleeting, because of our relationship with Christ. Now, it's not... Um, it's not this sort of a stiff upper lip kind of an idea that nothing bothers us or that we don't suffer or struggle or feel sad or experience grief. But it is a recognition that despite any of those things, any of those realities, I can experience joy. It's a recognition of God's love for me, his provision for me, and his promise for me for the future. We're gonna look at Matthew chapter two, verses one through 12. And this is the first example of the word joy being used in the New Testament. Let's read that passage together. Matthew chapter two, verses one through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, 
Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way." So just a little bit of background on this uh, story here. Uh, Bethlehem was a city of David, so uh, it was not surprising that uh, Mary and Joseph would be there. That was their uh, forefathers. Uh, Their ancestor was David, and so they were there in the city of David because of the requirements that existed in the poll that took place uh, that year. Verse 1 describes these wise men that come. Some versions of Scripture use the term magi. We don't know what country they were from. Uh, We don't know much about them, but probably they were uh, advisors to a king, perhaps astrologers, people that would have interpreted the stars and and foretold the future perhaps in some kind of way uh, and were seen as being uh, wise people within the nation that they were coming from. Uh, They were probably Gentiles. And then Herod uh, was the Roman-appointed king of, uh, of Israel, of Judah, of that region. And the idea in this passage that, uh, you know, where the wise men are looking for a, per, a baby that's been born king of the Jews was a threat to uh, Herod. Herod's power uh, was, was suspect anyway because uh, he wasn't genuinely a king. He was only there because of the Roman appointment. So the birth of this real king was a threat to his power. In verse 10, we see the first use of the word kara, the Greek word kara, of joy in the New Testament. And it's just description of what the wise men feel or experiencing when they arrive at where Christ, where baby Jesus was. But I think there's something that we really need to see in this passage that leads to the joy they experience at that moment. And it goes back to verse two, where we see the heart attitude, the approach of the wise men when they say to Herod that they've come to worship this new king of Israel, this uh, king of the Jews. And um, I think this is really important because the opportunity for joy in the presence of the Messiah begins with an attitude of worship. It begins by recognizing Christ for who he is. I think a lot of times in our world today, we think of worship and we think of the praise and music experience that we might have at the beginning of a church service. But in reality, worship is, happens any time where we recognize God, where we recognize Christ for who Christ is, when we give him the glory and honor that he's due. And so these wise men come with the attitude, with the heart and desire for worship. And what is the result when they find the Messiah in verse 10? There's this incredible joy. 
It's interesting in verse 10 that uh, that use of the word joy is what's called the emphatic construction of the word kara. And when that indicates this, this overwhelming nature of the joy, and I think it's funny that in the English we use like sort of three different descriptions of joy that, that give you the sense of how great it is. And it says there that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So there's this incredible sense of joy in the presence of the Messiah. So we've seen the promise of joy in the Old Testament with the promised coming of the Messiah, the presence of joy from the arrival of the Messiah, and now I want to consider the potential for joy in your own life as you embrace the Messiah yourself. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. It says there in that passage, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found in result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of of your souls. Three things I want you to understand from this passage. First of all, this passage is built on, is precluded on the reality, the fact that the joy that it talks about in verses eight and nine can only be experienced by those who are in right relationship with God. This reminds us of even what Ricardo spoke about last week, that the, the peace uh, of God, the peace with God, comes by being in right relationship with with God. And so this passage, this joy that we can experience in the Messiah and the relationship happens in relationship with God. And uh, every single one of us, uh, before we come to faith in Christ, is in a wrong relationship with God, with a fractured relationship with God. And, and God loved us still, even in that broken, fallen condition where our sin separated us from him and made a way for us to be in relationship with him. He sent his son to earth Christ lived a sinless, perfect life, died on the cross in our place, paying the price in that death on the cross for our sins. And when we accept that gift of God, that gift of his son, uh, by recognizing our need for a savior, our relationship with God is restored. And then the joy that's described in this passage can be ours as well. Second thing that we need to note about the joy in this passage, it's a joy that puts problems into context. It doesn't deny that they're real, right? It says uh, it, that we are grieved by various trials right now, that we're tested. Uh, that's the reality, right, that we're dealing with, but it still points to joy, that we, we recognize the reality of these problems, but we're not overwhelmed by them. Uh, it puts them into the context of what God has done for us through Christ. Third thing that I want you to see from this passage is that uh, it's a joy that recognizes that our future will be different than our past. Our future will be different than our present. That God has provided salvation for us and that gives us purpose in this life 
and a promise for a future life with him. So when we're in the midst of a miserable 2020 where we're dealing with COVID and the challenges of this time, uh, there's reminders in this passage that uh, the joy, we experience joy when we recognize what God has done for us through Christ, when we don't dwell on our current circumstances, but we see them in the context of what God has done for us. And then when we realize them in the face of the promise that we have for a future with him. So that our life, our current struggles are only a small portion of what we will experience when we have an eternity with God through Christ, where we will uh, live with him in in a reality that's uh, separate from sin and brokenness and fallenness, where there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more hurt. And that's the promise that we have uh, for those who are followers of Christ. Let's pray. God, we love you. We are so grateful to you for Uh, the Advent season where this chance we have even today to think of the joy that we have that's possible in relationship with you through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ. Lord, you, you had made that so clear in the Old Testament through the prophets, this promise of joy that we would experience with the arrival of the Messiah, the presence of joy that we have in the birth of the Messiah and the opportunity in our own lives to experience that joy or that potential for joy that we have because of what Christ has done when we are in right relationship with him. Lord, I just would ask that this message would change our hearts this Christmas season as we struggle with some of the challenges of 2020, the realities of COVID in our current world. Lord, help us to experience the joy that we can have in you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.